you can hire as many people as you want, as long as the gross margins are X percent. Sales uh-huh. marketing team, you can hire as many people as you want. You can spend as much as you want, as long as the payback time is Y months. Hi, this is Joe Polizzi with the Content Marketing Institute, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on the Productive Insights Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights Done For You podcast launch service, which positions you as a leading authority in your market and successfully turns listeners into high-value customers. Book a call with me on callashroy.com to discuss how we can get started. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to head over to the show notes on the Productive Insights website and you'll find several other related episodes. All you need to do is click on the related link in the show notes and you'll be listening to related and useful content in no time. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is a founder and CEO of Indinero.com. That's spelled I-N-D-I-N-E-R-O.com. And she loves helping entrepreneurs run better businesses. She provides accounting, tax, payroll, and a whole lot of back-end services and virtual CFO services, which allows businesses to get far more out of their strategy and forecasting than the average CPA accounting firm offers. She was featured on the cover of Inc. magazine at the end of last year for her huge three-year revenue growth. We also had her as a guest on episode 66, and we're delighted to have her back. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Great to be back. Awesome to have you back. Jessica, the last time we met, we talked about the importance of planning and its impact on a business. We talked about how the act of planning in itself, regardless of the plan that comes out of that act of planning, the act of planning puts you into a certain frame of mind that is very important for success. It forces you to start thinking in terms of resources and start thinking like a true entrepreneur where you looking at getting the maximum output from the input of your resources. Let's pick up the conversation from there. Can you talk a little bit about useful tips that our listeners can take to really kick off 2017? Yeah, sure. Let me start by talking about what we're doing at Indonero as it pertains to 2017 planning. At Indonero, we're we're roughly 200 full-time employees now, and we're growing a lot and things are changing nonstop. Like every day, something's new. I just got a note today that we hired like a few new people who just started a few hours ago and it's just, there's constant change. But the problem we had maybe even six, 12 months ago is that our planning was just not as robust as it had to be. So I'd say at the 50 employee mark, you decided to do quarterly OKRs. So you could look about, look this up online, Google, Intel, all these great companies use OKRs, objectives and key results. It's like, we want customers to love us, and then you have a key result around that. Uh So the customer satisfaction score will be X, just as an example. And so we started studying what all these other big companies were doing as their best practices. Andy Grove, the founder of Intel, writes about this in his book, High Output Management. So I highly recommend that. And, Uh And so we started applying that throughout our business. And then we did that over maybe the past 18 months. And then we realized, wow, like quarterly OKRs and some planning around the quarterly goals, that's just not enough anymore. Like now that we're a bigger ship, it's like, you know, when you're an aircraft carrier, it takes a lot more to move the ship one way or another. And that's more where we're at today. So now we've gone through this five, six week planning exercise where we have every single person in the company 
building a plan. And I think the major misconception is planning is up to the CEO and to the management team to build. I think that that's a real old school way of looking at things. Planning should be done by every single person in the company. So what we're doing is we're requiring every single person. I don't care if you're the janitor. I don't care if you just started two days ago. You need to review the plan for your team and add comments to it and add critiques to it the way I would add critiques to it. I love that. You know what? I have to confess, especially having come from the corporate world, I've always thought so hierarchically and I was so wrong. You're absolutely right. Planning can be done at an individual level. Yeah, um, it can be done and it gets so much more buy-in. You get better ideas and your plans are more likely to actually succeed if you get everyone to contribute. And so we're excited about that. Well, let me play devil's advocate for a moment, though. If every individual is planning, what's the risk or isn't there a risk of having too many cooks syndrome? Yeah, there is. So what I think is a good middle ground is you have like the team lead and maybe two or three confidants put together the outline and the basic, the basic gist of the plan. And then you have everyone else come in and kind of say, hey, you might want to add that or remove that. But at least you have some basic foundation in place already. So they might not be writing it from scratch, but they're still contributing. Okay. That's awesome. So that's a really fantastic tip right there Um, for any business owner. You know, I think that's fantastic to be able to get your team to start contributing at all levels to the plan. So I'm actually going to start implementing that in my business because I think my team have a lot of great ideas and I'm not getting their involvement so formally. I'm always looking for their involvement, but I'm not doing it as formally as that. So that's something to start doing. Can you point us to some kind of a resource or something like that that allows you to do this? Is that that OKR thing you were talking about? Yeah, I mean, I'd say look up OKRs, look up High Output Management by Andy Grove. Yep. And um, I'll see what else, what other documentation I have on this, but... But if you just search Google OKRs, you'll find a lot of good stuff on it. Cool. Will do. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so what document or document management system or tool are you using for this planning? It's pretty simple. It's all in Google Docs. And the concept is that each person or each plan should be no more than five pages long because some people could write like chapters and chapters worth of uh, plans. And and the goal is to have it be as simple as possible. And so five pages, you could have an unlimited appendix, but it's merely an appendix. I'm not going to really read your appendix. I'm just going to look at it and some Google Docs, Google Drive shared with everyone. So it's fully transparent. Cool. Well, I, I, we were talking just before our interview about how I'm using Google Docs with my team and we have standard operating procedures. And I was just explaining to you how I have my team ask me questions within that Uh, Google Doc or that standard operating procedure and then I respond to the questions and that gives me some insight into what is missing from that standard operating procedure and then we roll it up into the SOP and the question and answer bits are removed. So it's almost a living document, the SOP, the standard operating procedure. Google Docs are really fantastic to do that because the minute somebody else updates it, you see the update on your end and vice versa. It's a very seamless way as opposed to, say, 
Microsoft Word where you got to track changes and that kind of gets painful. That's got its benefits, I'm sure, especially in a legal situation where you're looking at the changes the lawyer made. But when it comes to SOPs and stuff, Google Docs are absolutely awesome. I highly recommend that to anyone listening. Google Apps for Work is one of the best things I've done with my business. Google doesn't have the best uh, UX, the user best user experience. Um, I don't think they still get it. They're not like Apple in terms of, you know, the minimalism, but they're very useful. So yeah, definitely something to think about. Okay. So that's a great tip to, you know, really get 2017 absolutely rocking for your business, get people involved at the grassroots level in the planning process, because it puts them into a certain mindset, which we touched on in the last episode where we spoke in episode 66. And that is, it forces the person to think constructively, to think about things that can be done, not to focus on things that can't be done. But you know, it really puts you into a can-do mindset. You're really asking yourself and your team the question, well, what are we going to build in this year? Not what's going wrong in the business, not what are we struggling with. And there's a time to do that, but this is not it, right? And so that brings up an important question, uh, or my next question, which is, when we go into a forecasting planning strategy session, can you give us some good tips to go in with the right mindset? Yeah, I'd say that we need to have two mindsets. And I've, I've okay. told all this stuff to my entire team. So they're used to hearing me banter about this a lot. But I say, on one hand, you want to shoot for the moon. Everything is possible. We're not going to go in with any constraints. We're going to dream really big. And you got to give yourself permission to do that, knowing that yep. once you're done with that type of planning, we're going to do more conservative planning where it's all right, like things are going to go wrong. Everything's going to be messed up. Um, and we need to think about every dependency that could um, prevent us from hitting our goals. And mm-hmm. So you got to go down those parallel tracks. So I just want to clarify something here. And that is when we are talking about the things that can go wrong, the devil's advocate approach, we're not talking about why we think things are going to go wrong. We are talking about a pragmatic approach. We are saying, here's what could go wrong, but we're not looking for reasons for it not to work, which is a slightly different mindset. And I just want to bring that out. Yeah, no, that's a very good distinction. Yeah, I mean, we need them to be constructive about it because it's easy to say, oh yeah, like these goals are ridiculous. They're outlandish. Like here's why it will never work. And and I think you mentioned this when we first started recording, this planning exercise has gotten everyone to step out outside and think, wow, like there's so much good stuff we could be building if you just take your time to think about it. And yeah. this entire exercise has allowed them to open, change their mindset from the, oh man, like we're just doing the daily grind and here's why we'll never hit stretch goals to, wow, like we actually have a way we could move forward here. And, um, and I think that's another reason why it's important to have everyone contribute, not just the higher ups. And you know what else I think is really awesome, Jessica, about this approach? I'm falling in love with it more and more as you talk <laughs> about it. Very often, especially when we are removed from the processes at a senior level in the company, or even if you're a very junior level in the company and removed from the processes that the senior person is doing, you tend to think in a linear fashion about that role because you don't have as much closeness to that role. But when you're actually doing the role and you adopt the planning mindset, the owner mindset, the entrepreneur mindset, rather than the minion mindset, for want of a better term, when you adopt that entrepreneur mindset, 
you can think in terms of the paradigm shifts in terms of your role, right? So let me try and think of a, an example. Let's say I've got someone who's creating documents, There's someone who's creating invitations for guests on my show. If I'm at the top of the business, I'm just thinking in terms of, okay, they've got to type it out and they've got to create this and then this and this part and this part and this paragraph and so on. Whereas they might start thinking, well, hey, I can achieve the same result by recording it on audio or something. I'm just thinking out loud here, but they can completely reimagine the role. Yeah. Yes. It's, um, and we're trying to see those results actually happen because of the fact that everyone gets the chance to contribute. So we're, we're already seeing the ROI there where other people aren't getting that from their employees at all. So Okay, so what works well in terms of preparing for these sessions then? We go in with a dual mindset. We go in with a mindset of here's what can go absolutely awesome and here's what can go totally wrong. Is there anything else that we need to come to the meeting with, a whiteboard and a piece of paper? Do you recommend not bringing in laptops? What are your suggestions? Yeah, let's still go back and talk about the structural uh, setup for this. So um, one, we have to have really strict deadlines. First draft due uh-huh. on this day, second draft due a week and a half later, and then final draft due a week and a half after that. And because otherwise these things will drag on forever. And then we've got to remind people, hey, deadline's coming up in two days, guys. Make sure you're on it. And between the first draft and the second draft, here's what I expect to see from all of you guys. So that's really important, having the deadlines. And then three, the resource planning is what really stresses people out, the money stuff oh, I could hit these goals, no problem, Jessica, but I want to need to hire all these people. Can you fit that into the budget? And it's a really good question because, because you know, they're right. To a certain extent, they do need the budget. But on the other hand, it's stressful because, you know, I'm looking at my money and I'm thinking, man, like, I'd really love to do that. I just don't know if I could afford it. So the way around that is to have resource constraints. So instead of giving them a fixed dollar budget as, all the companies do, all right, your team gets a million bucks, your team gets three million bucks or whatever the number is. Now I'm setting targets like, all right, service team, you can hire as many people as you want as long as the gross margins are X percent. Sales Uh marketing team, you can hire as many people as you want. You can spend as much as you want as long as the payback time is Y months. So Okay. You got to fit into this model. And as long as my CFO says the model is accurate and you're pumping out the right numbers, you could do whatever you want. That's good. So you're giving them an extra level of responsibility. You're not saying, here's how much money you can spend. You're saying, here's the amount of return I need and I don't care how much you spend. That actually brings up a very important point. It reminds me of a quote that Buffett said, right? Uh, Price is what you pay. Uh, value is what you get. So as my business is starting to grow, I am also starting to think differently about expenses. And that is, I no longer think of expenses in terms of dollars. I think of it in terms of value and return on investment. So to me, spending $10 on something that's going to give me a $5 return is much more expensive than spending $100,000 on something that's going to give me a million dollar return. So it's not the metric of the dollar value. It's a lot like when you, you know, talk about stock price. The stock price doesn't matter. It's the PE ratio that you're looking at. That's what determines how expensive a stock is. The stock price is irrelevant. So I think we need to have a similar approach with in terms of expenses. And I hear that's what you're kind of doing with your team. Exactly. And it takes away the stress and anxiety from the planning exercise. 
It allows them to dream big and to think big, but know they have to also work within your economics constraints, so to speak, instead of a dollar number constraint. And I love that, though, because it's not so one dimensional, right? You're not saying to them, hey, this is how much you can spend. You're saying to them, I don't care how much you spend. Just deliver value. Just make it work. Exactly. Exactly. It's forcing them to work smarter, not just harder. It's forcing them to think through how do we actually get more efficiency from each person so that we're not just filling bodies in the room. And it's forcing them to think like entrepreneurs, not like employees. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you totally get it. And they get it too. And and they, they love this, I think. See, when I did my MBA, I was very interested in incentivization structures and things like that. And I always believe that a lot of incentive structures are built really stupidly. So, for example, a lot of CEOs in the corporate world actually are compensated based on the stock price of the company or that's a significant part of their contract. So if the stock price falls below a certain amount, they start getting penalized, which is nuts because there are so many things that affect the stock price. And then that's compounded by the fact that the stock market measures the CEO's performance in quarterly results, which is insane for a company like Apple, because it's like measuring the Titanic by the performance of one rudder or whatever the term is. It's, it's nuts. So I just think that incentives can really influence behavior in a major way. It doesn't matter what you say as the owner of a company. It doesn't matter how encouraging or discouraging you are. Well, it does. But <laughs> what matters is how you incentivize people. If you give people some amount of freedom and you give them some amount of leeway and you say, hey, if you make this work, there's a cut in it for you. It may not be equity in the company, it might just be part of the profits. They're going to be a lot more motivated. I remember 3M used to have, I don't know if they still do, but 3M uh, used to have 30% of their employees' work they could spend on doing projects of their choice, as long as it was somewhat work-related. So that gave them a lot of freedom to work on their own things. Yeah, it's great. I mean, these are really creative things that different companies are doing. And I think the real question is, for your company, what which ones are you going to adopt yourself? And I'm trying to steal everyone's good ideas, but even then there aren't enough to go around. So I'm trying to come up with new ones. (laughs) Yes, fair enough. Well, you're welcome to steal as many of mine as you like because you have great ideas yourself. You mentioned earlier on that your team has been using a lot of the stuff from my website and that just made my day. So thank you very much. All right, let's talk about metrics. Now we've already touched on it. So we've touched on metrics and the answer is there is no one metric to really help a business increase their performance. But here's one metric that probably isn't necessarily the best. And that is like a one dimensional metric, which is like, you can only spend so many dollars. Let's try and put in a metric that ties in responsibility and entrepreneurship into behavior. So the metric wouldn't necessarily be, you can only spend a million dollars on this project. The metric might be, you can spend whatever you want on this project, as long as your return on investment is more than whatever, 10%, or your payback period is less than one year. Yep, exactly. No, that's, that's completely right. And it forces creativity on the CEO's part to come up with that metric or work with you know your CFO or your accountant or whoever that is, call me if you need help on it and I'll, I'll talk to you about it. Cause, cause yeah, like I remember hearing all my friends from big companies saying about how they're fighting over every penny in the budget. And if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. That's company thinking. And I thought, oh my God, that's horrible if my employees are using it or losing it. 
And you have to ask for more budget because yeah. if you don't ask for more, then you lose it. Yeah, that's right. They're just burning. It's that's such a public service mentality, isn't it? If I don't spend a million dollars in this financial year, then I will lose some of my budget. So I'm going to spend it on buying crayons or something. You know, <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean, and that's a terrible way to think. It's a, such a destructive way to think. It's so destructive. So we're we're not going to play by those rules and do that at at Indonesia. And we we are a finance, accounting, uh, tax. Uh, financial planning companies. So we think about this a lot more probably than many of our peers do. So that yeah. helps. But these things are easy to do. Anyone can do that. It's just that, yeah. you know, this is our bread and butter. So we're, we're forced to do this, whereas our friends may not be forced to do it. Okay. So what metric is your favorite one? Of all these guys, as far as the financial constraint metrics are concerned. Yeah. I really love the cost of acquisition payback number. So basically, sales and marketing, they want to spend money on whatever it may be. They want to spend money on a sales rep or on an advertisement or on on more headcount, right? And look at the total budget for what you're spending on that team. And you look at the total amount of money that that team's bringing in. Uh-huh. You're, you could calculate how many months does it take for you to get a return back on your money. So like if you bring a new customer, you're losing money on that customer for how many months until you start making a profit. And the best practice for software companies is you want to keep that to be under a year yeah. as it gets to be really expensive uh, cost of acquisition. So we've been playing around with that number a lot. Uh-huh. Happy to send over an Excel model. That'd be awesome. Can we link to that? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. I'll just remind me, I'll send it to you later. And you just plug in the total headcount cost. You plug in your gross margin on your product or service. And then I'll output the months okay. of payback time you're currently paying. And you want that to be as low as possible, but it doesn't have to be under six months if you're willing to invest a bit. So Cool. Yeah, I'll let you play around with that. That, that one's great. Gross margin is super important. People don't pay enough attention to gross margin, but it's an obvious one. Um, having the R&D team keep their own P&L is also a very interesting concept that I've been promoting internally. So normally research and development and engineering, they're seen as a super long-term futuristic cost center, essentially. But Mm -hmm. you can really measure ROI from that team. Every product that you push out should have some ROI metric to it. So for example, you might have a product feature that helps improve the efficiency of my service team, right? Like we do accounting, we're trying to automate away that accounting. So if a team automates away 100 hours of an accountant's time, then there's some real economical benefit to the feature they built. So we could look at that over like a three-year time frame, the estimated savings from that one feature, look at the cost that it took for us to build that feature and determine how much profit the company will have made from that. And okay. and being able to show those numbers to the actual engineer who wrote that code, it makes them so much more motivated. They're like, wow, I helped the company make millions of dollars. That's, yeah. that's like really empowering for someone to hear. And they don't get that, you know, if they took a job at Twitter instead, it's like, well, I made the feature to help them do this, which may or may not have helped Twitter but it's not quantifiable. It's a little bit like at the start of this conversation, before we started recording, you said, I have my team take just about everything you're doing. I get them to listen to all the productive inside stuff and I implement it in the business. And, and that just completely 
transformed my experience. It really motivated me massively when you get that level of feedback. And I think that's what you're saying, that the, the more detailed the feedback and the more quantifiable the feedback, the more powerful it is. If, if it was just helping 10 employees, that wouldn't be as powerful as hearing hundreds of employees are using my content. Wow, I've got to produce more of this content. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and it's, it's already making an impact having them hear that. And this is part of the 2017 planning you were talking about. You have some goals that scroll all the way down and everyone knows what, how they're contributing to the overall company goal. Even if their goal is to do something that might not seem like it directly impacts the company's like revenue target, for example, they know that it's helping like improve the gross margin, which helps us maximize their profit, which allows us to hire more people to so they can see the chain and it's a super transparent chain. Everyone deserves to see that. It'll make everyone more productive. That's great. Look, this conversation has just been transformative for me, and I hope it is for the people who are listening because there is a whole lot of value in here. Okay, so one of the biggest challenges that you've noticed people have with implementing on these plans, and one thing that already I can sense is maybe there's a bit of complexity in yes. measuring it and understanding how it ties back to the bigger vision. Maybe a way to overcome that is for you guys to spell it out a bit more or communicate that more transparently. Yeah, so what we do at the start of the exercise, I put out the top goals. So I have a stretch goal and then a baseline goal uh -huh. at the top for, for one metric. For us, it's revenue. And then the next layer, so sales has a stretch goal and a baseline goal. Engineering, service team, they all have a baseline and stretch goal. Um, so yep. it might be customer satisfaction score should be X versus Y. And then, and then if you go down the chain, another layer, then we let them help come up with their number one metric that ties into that that parent metric, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So it's a trickle down process. And then, so you trickle down the goals and then you trickle back up the plans is how it works. Nice. <laughs> I love that. So you trickle down the goals and trickle up the plans. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So actions and summaries. This is the action section. Uh, so some of the key takeaways for me are get every single person involved in building a plan. Planning doesn't have to be at the top of the company, which is how I thought about it till we had this conversation. It can be done at an individual level. You talked about OKRs, and I'm going to Google that and put a link in there in the show notes for that. I'm also going to put a link in the show notes to that Excel model that you were kind enough to offer so our listeners can check that out. That's something they can implement in their businesses straight away. Uh, in terms of mindset for planning, you go in with two a two-pronged mindset and one is one side is shoot for the moon and the other side is ask yourself what could go wrong and I want to point out this is not about find things that can go wrong it's more be a pragmatist and say what could go wrong with the point of view of and how are we going to address those challenges if they happen not okay this is not going to work this is not going to work we don't want to go in with that approach because that's not how you build businesses we talked about having strict deadlines so People are clear about when they have to achieve the first draft, second draft, third draft. So things don't just, you know, keep unraveling into the ether. The idea is that you're not going to fill in all the planning that you want 
you know, into infinity. So by having a strict deadline, you say, okay, this is what we're going to get in for the first draft. And if we want to get more ideas in, well, that can go into the next year's plan or the next draft or whatever it is. So by putting a time constraint on it, you're more likely to get something concrete. Uh, we talked about resource constraints in terms of metrics. So rather than going for a simple one-dimensional metric, like you can only spend a million dollars this year, you go with, you can spend as much money as you want, as long as you return more than 10% return on investment or 20% or whatever it is. So you're giving responsibility to the person who's aiming to spend the resources. You're saying to them, you manage it and make it work. And if you can't find a way to make it work, then you need to rethink whether you want to spend that amount of money. Uh, you can also use payback periods. You can use different KPIs or different metrics that tie in a multifactorial level of accountability to that resource investment. And then we talked about stretch goals and baseline goals. And that's sort of tantamount to the shoot for the moon and the pragmatic mindset that kind of tie into each other. And then we, we talked about a trickle-down approach to goal setting and a trickle-up approach to planning. Yep. Cool. That is a really, really good summary of everything we talked about. Awesome. Well, I'm glad I took some notes, but I remembered a lot of that because you made such an impact on me. Maybe it's the geeky CPA in me that's coming out. I just remembered a lot of the stuff you said. So thank you very much. That was absolutely awesome. Now, how do listeners find out more about you? I know you have an awesome blog. I was checking it out before we spoke. So how do listeners find out more about you? How do they get access to your blog? And when are you coming back? Yeah, I mean, I'm around anytime. So just give me a call. But but yeah, I mean, you can check us out at indonair.com, blog.indonair.com. Or email me, okay. CEO at indonair.com if you have more questions about planning, forecasting, budgeting, accounting, tax stuff, whatever you want, just shoot me a note, happy to help out. And um, you know, I'm a resource for you and for all your listeners. Happy to be part of uh, your community. Cool. If you're listening and you want to get access to the show notes, just head over to ProductiveInsights.com and type in Jessica Ma, and that's spelled J-E-S-S-I-C-A-M-A-H. And you type that into the search bar on the top right-hand side of your computer or onto your mobile device at the top of your screen. And that will bring up this conversation. So thanks so much for being on the show, Jessica. It was just so awesome. Thank you for saying that wonderful thing about the fact that hundreds of people are using Productive Insights content. That's just made my day. And we'll work on something together in the near future. And maybe we'll come up with some useful piece of content for our listeners. No, happy to. And next time, maybe you could talk about like, what are the top things that, like, how do we apply the concepts that you put out to a workforce of 200 plus people and how to actually yeah. do that? That might be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. All Let's right. do it. I'll book it in. All right. All right. We can't wait to have you back on the show. Thank you. Same here. And Thank you. Hey, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 